0: people of God are reading this day from the book of Exodus, the 19th and 20th chapters. On the third new moon, after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They had journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, Saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the Israelites. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of their parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your town. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord, your God, is giving to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So take a brief moment and uh, think back to six weeks ago. Okay, maybe too much. Uh, So six weeks ago, right, when we started our our trek through the Psalms, we began with Psalm 1, uh, which talks about the way of those who belong to God, the way of the righteous as opposed to the way of the wicked. Uh, And it begins, you know, happy are they who do not sit in the council of uh, sinners nor sit in the presence of scoffers. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on God's teaching day and night. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on God's teaching day and night. We began that way to to show and illustrate how the entire Psalter, right, all 150 Psalms, are an expression of our walk with God. And what it means to walk in the way of the Lord. What it means to have our delight to be in God's law. What it means to meditate on God's teachings all of our days. But it would be helpful to at least know what that law is. So here we are. Stepping back in time to hear the Ten Commandments that God gave to the people of Israel. The Ten Commandments that we as Christians learn at various points in our life of faith formation, most uh, frequently when we are young and just learning the stories of Scripture. Then again, when we go through our confirmation program and encounter these teachings uh, alongside of the words of Martin Luther who pondered what it might mean as, as followers of Jesus to live into these commandments. And then again at later points in our lives when we are faced with the trials and the temptations of this world. We typically look at these Ten Commandments as a Law. Right? The focus of our moral and our ethical relationship with God and with one another. These Ten Commandments are used often as a benchmark to determine if we are in fact living up to God's standards or perilously falling short. So I want to take this moment and take a step back. And reimagine how the Israelites may have first encountered these commandments so that we might better understand what it means to follow them faithfully as as spiritual descendants grafted into the promises of this particular covenant. One of the commentaries that I was reading this week in preparation uh, said, you know, kind of beautifully, 19 comes before 20. So we can't start with Exodus 20 where God actually delivers the law unless we go back to 19 and see what's happened in the life of Israel and why it is they're receiving this, this word from God. We start with chapter 19, but 18 chapters have already gone by in the book of Exodus. They've detailed Moses' birth, his encounter with God in the burning bush. They recounted the 10 plagues. The night of the Passover and Pharaoh's release of Israel from slavery. They've told of how God has led these people through the parted Red Sea by a pillar of cloud and fire and onward then through their initial first steps into freedom as they harvested manna and quail for their food and drank from a fountain of water gushing from a rock satisfying their thirst in the middle of a desert. Here in chapter 19, Moses has gathered the people at the base of Mount Sinai on the day of the third new moon, meaning that three months have passed since the Israelites were brought up out of Egypt through the parted Red Sea. I ask you to remember six weeks ago Think about three months. Where were you? What were you doing? What was going on in your life at that moment? And then imagine what these Israelites are experiencing in theirs. They've spent their entire lives as slaves. They've endured backbreaking labor, inadequate food and living conditions. They've been stripped of their dignity And oppressed in every way. All of this on the tale of 400 years of enslavement as a people. Since their ancestor Joseph had died and a pharaoh rose up who considered Israel to be a threat. At that point, what difference does three months make when for 400 years this has been the only life you've ever known? For the Israelites, freedom, this thing that we take for granted, is at best an unachievable dream and at worst a forgotten story of the past. And yet here they are, freed from that life, uncertain of what that freedom means and how they will live into this new Uncertain possibility as they gather at the base of a mountain. There are so many choices before them that. I imagine many of them are just paralyzed. with the sheer amount of decisions that they need to make and the different kind of work that this new life of freedom will require. Because it won't be the same as making bricks out of straw and mud. It won't be the same. As feeding the rich and the powerful in their homes. It will be something different and they have no clue how. And that. Is the space into which God speaks. Moses. Tell these children of Jacob. You saw what I did to the Egyptians. You saw how I bore you up on eagles wings and have, have brought you to myself. Tell them that if they obey my voice. If they keep my commandments. They will be my treasured possession over and above all people's. Indeed, everything in this world is mine, but they will be something special. A priestly kingdom, a holy nation, a people who belong to me. From the gutter to the pedestal as the apple of God's eye. You imagine it. What it's like to have your world transformed like that. In the verses between 196 and 20, verse 1, Moses does as he's commandment. He goes, he presents the people of Israel with all that God has told him, and in that, they're faced with a choice. Obey the voice of God. Keep the covenant that God will make with them. Or go off on their own. Make their own way. Figure out what freedom means for yourself. After the elders and the people hear this, they say to one another and they say to Moses, What the Lord has said, we will do. And in that lies something fascinating. God has told them who they are. There are people freed from the bonds of slavery. There are people whom God loves and treasures so much That God wants a relationship with them beyond this desert, beyond this mountain. And all of that comes before the requirement of what it means to follow God faithfully. The relationship is what matters most to God because that's how God starts out. God isn't coercive with the people. But it says offers the opportunity for them to return thanks. To extend themselves not as as servants and slaves but as people for whom God loves and cares for. It's a relationship founded on a covenant. agreement, a promise that is intended solely for upholding a relationship. It begins with God saying, this is what I've done for you. Continue with me then and marvel at what I will continue to do. Recognize that this will change your lives forever. And with that does Indeed, come a holy responsibility, but what matters most, what matters most is what I, God, feel for you, my people. It comes with a host of promises, right? On God's end, Israel is promised to become a, a treasured possession Holy nation of priests, people set aside and devoted entirely to the religious service of God, from the pastors and the priests and the clerics on down to the infant still in the crib. On Israel's end, the entire people are called to live lives that reflect the character of the God who brought them up out of that land of slavery, who bore them up on wings like eagles, and who continues to carry them on forward as they live out this priestly function in the way of these commandments. All because of what God wants for God's people. God's claim on our lives, the relationship that we have with the divine, comes before God's claim on our behavior. Because the relationship is the foundation of everything. It it is a relationship of freedom from slavery, a relationship of love as people who are recipients of a promise that ensures a perpetual sense of closeness with God. It is a relationship of redemption from the days of indentured servitude and uncertainty and agony. And it is a relationship that because of the faithfulness and credibility of God, it will never end. This is the promise that we as followers of Jesus are grafted into. And recipients of it's the promise we receive communicated to us through the gift of baptism. A relationship of freedom from sin, a relationship of love as God claims us to be children and heirs of these very same promises made to Israel. A relationship of redemption from the cycles of sin and brokenness which enslave us and all people. And so though it is now 3,000 some odd years later, here we are freed from that same life that Israel is freed from as they camp at the foot of a mountain. Our life of discipleship is a life of living into the uncertainty of what this freedom that we have from Jesus might mean how we will live into this new uncertain possibility that God is calling us into. There are so many choices laid out before us and it is so easy to feel paralyzed by all the decisions that need to be made and the different kind of work that our life of following Jesus will require because it is not about Keeping these commandments as a checklist for our ticket into heaven. It's about something more. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, or so we say. Their willingness to continue to follow God into that uncertainty, into that place of freedom, is what brings them closer to the God who loves them, to the God who frees them. What's let them see that with God we can still fly higher, we can be blessed with more than we could possibly ever imagine. We receive these commandments more so than a list of what to do, but more of a, this is what life with God really looks like. A life where, yes, we're called to love our neighbor by not killing them, stealing from them, speaking falsely against them, but also that that same neighbor is called to do the same With me, that I can trust as followers of God, my life will be cared for and loved by the neighbor who I have beside me. Where we often see this as a rule book or a checklist determining our good standing with God, that is not, nor has it ever been, the purpose of these commandments. People who received them in the wilderness understood them first and foremost as a gift, a sign from God that they belonged and a sign from God that they were loved, a gift from God which comes with all the blessings of God's generous and gracious favor. In fact, in the Jewish faith, they don't even call these things commandments. The word they use is, of course, Torah, which is often translated as law. But it also speaks of the first five books of our scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. When Jesus talks about faithfulness to the tradition, he speaks of it as following the law and the prophets. And so it goes beyond just these 10 but to the whole of the Old Testament tradition. But even more than that, this word, law, commandment, can also mean something else. Torah can also mean teaching. And that's the spirit in which the Jewish faithful received this covenant gift. God spoke all these words, God taught us something that day. These are ten teachings, ten words from God, which instruct the faithful how to live in communion with God and with one another. They are teachings from a God who wants best for us, not a restrictive code from a God who wants to punish us. They're a roadmap, a gift for freedom. so in shorthand, the Jewish faithful call these the ten words reminiscent of God's first word that brought creation into being. These ten words create a new holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people who are born up on the wings of eagles to live their days in total obedience and service to the Lord. That is our gift. That if this is a law, it's a law of love. How we love God, how God loves us, how we love our neighbor, how our neighbor loves us. These commandments show us what life in Jesus looks like. These commandments. Teach us what it means to know and experience the love of God as we meditate on them day and night and find our delight in the word that God has spoken for us. We who have been grafted into the same covenantal relationship with God through the waters of baptism are close to these ten words. Because they continue to express God's creative, redeeming work in freeing this world for life in the Spirit. And we get to discover with each step along the way how God is continuing to work with, in, and among us as we minister to one another and to our neighbors in love. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about how these specific words create new life for those who are called into a covenant relationship with God. For now, it's enough to know this. Through these teachings, God's law of love is written for us to know the links to which God will go in order to free us from slavery in all its forms. And they serve as a precursor to the fullness of life that we experience as beloved children of God. Reborn in the waters of baptism and the death and resurrection life of Jesus, our brother. And enlivened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Who guides us into a future of promise and hope and endless possibility. These are the words that God spoke. Amen.